Yo, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and of course, this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for tuning in to another really, really fun show. Reoccurring guest and friend of the program, Miss Monica McNutt, is joining us this week. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl halftime, Justin Timberlake, and of course, the NBA trade deadline, specifically, what can the Cleveland Cavaliers do to improve their chances of returning to the NBA Finals. All that plus, I'm going to try, try to link Meek Mill and Tara Owens in the same topic, okay? You got to stay with me. I'm going to try to do it. I think it'll make sense, but we're going to all find out together, I suppose. But let's get it started with our first topic this week. First quarter. That was a Super Bowl. That is how... Despite all the controversy, right, and the CTE and Colin Kaepernick and domestic violence and all the things that the NFL does wrong off the field and all the crazy things that have gone on wrong on the field with what is the catch and targeting and late hits on quarterbacks and all this other stuff, Rooney Rule, all the stuff that the NFL does wrong. This past Sunday, they got it right. And... They've been getting it right. I mean, it's it's bad, right? When you look at the regular season and all the complaints. And look, if you watch football at all, we know all of them, right? And I listed some of them earlier to start the show. I don't have to go through them. You know them in your head. And that's bad when you get things wrong during the regular season. But when it comes to the bright lights and the big stays, the NFL gets that. <laughs> they get that jank right. For real, grand slam. That game, and look, I'm I'm 35 years old, okay? So I remember, I vividly remember growing up, and the joke was, yeah, the Super Bowl is awful because the AFC is always going to get mopped every year. You know what I'm saying? Buffalo got punished three out of four years. Then, you know, then, you know Cincinnati, they had a little good run earlier but the Broncos got punished I mean the Chargers got punished early 90s it was like consistently everybody was at the conference championship that's that's the marquee event because once you get to the Super Bowl the AFC teams get crushed but think about in recent years I mean all of the Patriots Super Bowl wins have been close matter of fact all of the Patriots Super Bowls of of the Belichick Brady era have been close all of them the two Versus the Giants, obviously, and this one against Philadelphia. But but last year was overtime. Two years prior, it was the Seattle game at the one yard line. I mean, the, the Super Bowl has been really, really fun in recent years. And this year, throw the defense out. There was no defense played at all. The Patriots had two turnovers, one on downs, one fumble, right, and no punts. <laughs> the Eagles had one interception. As they were driving down the field anyway, and they had one three and out. And I think that was it as well. So there were like two punts in the entire game, or one punt in the entire game, two turnovers. And it was like that was arena football. It was crazy. It was crazy, but it was so entertaining. So I'm not gonna say it was like the greatest gameplay, because you know, there's still some purists out there who love defense, but they had big hits. Hell, man, one dude got powerbombed Kevin Nash style in like the first quarter. 
Oh my God! I'm watching. I'm over the game. I'm watching the game at my sister's house. And my sister, man, shout out to her. She's such a principled person. She she has sworn off football all year. She kid you not. Other than the Super Bowl, there was one other game. She was had a get together. It was uh, when the Vikings played the Saints, and she wasn't watching it. And most of the people at the house weren't watching it. But and the only time, and really the only reason she turned it on is because I got there. And luckily. You know, I was able to see the, the, you know, the final play. But she hasn't watched a single second of football before the Super Bowl. And, you know, she was on her phone watching the game. Me and her boyfriend over there watching it. And then when the old boy hit him with the power bomb, I was like, yo. Like, that joint was crazy. And then in the second quarter, Malcolm Jenkins, like, hits Brandon Cooks. And he was done. And again, you watch that and you're like, yo, man, <laughs> even through the entertaining, the entertaining game and the entertainment of the spectacle, you're, you're reminded like, yo, this game is a, is beyond barbaric. Like, you know how you watch you know, old school radio announcers talk about, you know, back in the forties and fifties and how they would smoke so much so they could get that really sharp, but raspy voice. And we look at that now like, man, you were just giving yourself cancer. And we look back at those things and like, yo, what were you doing? I suspect 40, 50 years from now, people will look back at the NFL and just be like, yo, what the hell was going on with Jobbamas? Like, who knows what happens to Brandon Cooks? And I'll, t- I'll touch on this a little bit later because I don't want to get bogged down on the, the violence. I want to just focus and give credit to the game. If you can, it's 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 a tough internal struggle and i understand i'm what i at least feel that way and i'm assuming many of you guys do as well but don't want to focus too much on the negativity the game itself was just so much fun it was arena football but like with collisions in space and you could just marvel at i don't remember the beginning of the year and everybody was talking about how the read option is dead and one of the reasons people pointed to why kaepernick wasn't going to get a job is because the NFL had figured out the read option and run pass option. And then you see Nick Foles, who was left for dead twice, right? Running the read run pass options. I mean, and looking like he was looking like he was a league MVP. We already know what Tom Brady does. I don't really need to tell you about how great he played, right? I mean, talking about pinpoint passes, right? To just guys so you look and you're like, yo, who is this guy? Why is Ben Hogan or whatever the hell his name is just killing everybody? The Eagles defense is amazing. They couldn't stop anybody. You know what I'm saying? But Nick Foles was out here running the RPOs and looking like he was, you understand, like like he was Carson Wentz. And the whole game was just so much fun. They're running fourth, fourth and goal, <laughs> quarterback option. And instead, I was like, yo, what's going on, Tom Brady? I it was it was unbelievable. When I saw Tom Brady running a route, I was thinking to myself, Bill Belichick is trying to get this man killed. Tom Brady's 40 years old. Imagine if instead of him dropping the ball, he catches it, but his arms are up and there was a safety or a linebacker there and just runs straight into his chest. Cause he's a receiver at that point. Imagine if you, somebody got a targeting call against Brady trying to catch in, like, the first half. <laughs> Imagine that. 
Can you imagine if something would have happened to Tom Brady, even if he pulled a hamstring? Can you imagine what we'd be discussing right now? That game had everything. It had everything. And then when it came down to it, the Philadelphia Eagles, they stood tall, man. And I got to salute all the Eagles fans out there, man. You know, I live, like I said, I live five minutes away from FedEx Field. I have heard all the slander toward Eagles fans that you can imagine. But they finally got their first Super Bowl, man. And I don't, I can't imagine how excruciating that game had to have been, right, to watch as an Eagles fan. Because even when the Eagles are up by eight points with 26 seconds left, I'm looking at my sister and her boyfriend. I'm thinking, yo, these Bamas, these Bamas still going to pull this off. <laughs> Six, I mean, 26 seconds. That Hail Mary, it tips up in the air. And I know, at least in some part of your mind, you thought, the Patriots are going to catch this ball, aren't they? On that last Hail Mary. And it was right there for the taking. And he just f- fell down to the ground. That's how much respect we all have for New England and their dynasty. I mean, and how could you not? But I really want to talk about, because the game, we've all talked about the game. We've heard about the game. It's Thursday now when you're hearing this, at least. So, you know, the game has been discussed ad nauseum. But I really want to focus on Doug Peterson, and again, the idea that you need a quarterback to win in the Super Bowl. Now, it's we do need to point out that although Nick Foles won the last few games in the regular season and all the playoff games, they had home field advantage because of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz had an amazing regular season, probably would have won MVP had he stayed healthy. So we can't dismiss the importance of having a really good quarterback. However... Nick Foles looked amazing, and I feel a lot of the reason why he looked so great is because he was running a system that was comfortable for him. Again, you saw so many read option plays, or at least it seemed like they were. You know, I'm not an NFL scout. I can't call out all those plays. But the guys in the booth made, made it clear that there were a lot of run pass options. And this is coming after, you know, Nick Foles is with the Rams, and everybody's like, yo, what happened to him? He was a one-year wonder. But you have to start thinking about how important play calling is to these quarterbacks. And if you're going to pay these coaches a ridiculous amount of money, you know, these guys have shown you now consistently that the great offensive minds can coach up quarterbacks who we were ready to leave for dead. Last year, it was Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was the MVP. Look at Matt Ryan's numbers last year. Look at his numbers this past season. You would think they're two totally different people. And the only thing that changed, because Julio Jones is still there, Hamas Sanu is still there, all the skill weapons are still in Atlanta. The only thing that changed was that Kyle Shanahan is gone. And we've seen Kyle Shanahan put offenses together and make the most out of these players. Remember RG3's rookie season. You know, RG3 now, you, you look at him and you, He's not in the league for a reason. That first year, we're thinking that RG3 is going to be the greatest player of all time. Right? Jared Goff came in the same year as Carson Wentz. Last year, or two years ago, I should say, we're thinking that Jared Goff is going to be the biggest bust ever. This year, he looks like a 
an elite, a potential elite quarterback. And the only thing that changed, and yes, Sammy Watkins did come to L.A., but I got to think that the biggest difference is Sean McVay. And I, I, I point this out. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay are guys who worked with Kirk Cousins. And we've seen Kirk Cousins get better over the years. And a lot of it, I have to believe, it's because he's been groomed by two of these, best, these amazing offensive minds. But it's not just these two guys. We saw it with Nick Foles. Jeff Fisher has Nick Foles, and he looks like he's getting ready to get out of the league. And then you see Nick Foles these last two weeks, and you're like, oh, my goodness. And the Vikings defense is amazing, and the Patriots defense, while they're not going to ever be mistaken for, like, you know, the 2001 Ravens, they were a top-five defensive unit as well. You know, they gave up 40-some-odd points. So we're in a place now where, yes, if you're Aaron Rodgers, and I got some questions. Shout out to my guy Brad Bodie. He's been he's been on the the Mike McCartney. He's not as good as everybody makes him out to believe. I'm seeing all around the NFC, all around the league, really, coaches with the ability to coach up players who not who are not anywhere close to the as talented as Aaron Rodgers is. So imagine if Aaron Rodgers was playing in a system where, yeah, he he can get receivers who used to play lacrosse. Who never, you know, who any of these receivers who play for New England, they're always wide open. And you're just asking, like, how? How are these guys? I get Gronk. Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time. All these other Bamas? How is it that Doug Peterson can make Nick Foles someone who was looking like he was done? Look so special in the biggest moments ever. How is it that Jared Goff? Looks like the biggest bust of all time since Jamarcus Russell. Now looks like he has the potential to be an elite quarterback. I, I I keep coming back to this, man, but I feel like this year, these playoffs and this Super Bowl specifically have kind of rendered my argument correct. Like, unless you have a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or a Drew Brees, I'm, I'm not paying big money for any of these guys. Unless they have one, like if you went, like rethink of Tom Brady a little bit differently now because obviously he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback ever. But when Tom Brady was first winning, he wasn't throwing these crazy numbers. In fact, that was the argument. It was Peyton Manning gets all these awards and all these yards in the regular season, but Tom Brady always wins because the Patriots defense was so good and Brady would play like mistake-free football and make these clutch moments in the fourth quarter, but the games would be so close. It wasn't until, like, the Patriots lost to the, to the Colts and they got Randy Moss and Wes, Wes Welker. That's when Tom Brady started throwing all these crazy yards, but he was already 10 years in the league almost at that point. You know what I mean? Like, when you succeed, you get a certain level of, um, you know, job security. So, you know, the Patriots won three Super Bowls in four years, so Brady was able to stay in the system and perfect the system. And in part by doing that, he became one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Same thing with Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger's numbers initially weren't spectacular. It was game manager. But he won a Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl he won, it wasn't because of him. Remember, he was awful that year, that game. But he it got him security. 
So he was able to stay in the same system, and now, you know, he's he's an amazing quarterback, and he, he also doesn't hurt to have the best receiver and the best running back in the game. But my point is, unless you're one of these guys who have been in the same system for years now, I'm not spending crazy money on a free agent quarterback because I've just seen it. If you got if if you have an amazing offensive head coach and the the way they're getting paid, like the, those are the guys who everybody wants. We've seen it time and time again. Coaches can coach up quarterbacks. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at one of the most entertaining Super Bowls we just had. Nick Foles threw up 40 points, 40 points in regulation against the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP, but he's not an Aaron Rodgers. He's not a Tom Brady. He's not a Drew Brees. He's none of those guys, but he was able to do it. I'd much rather invest in the coach than the quarterback in free agency, at least. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. Man, that was such a fun Super Bowl. It was so many topics, so many things I haven't even been able to get to. Malcolm Butler, you know, God knows what the hell happened with him. You understand what I'm saying? Carson Wentz, there's some people acting like there's a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia. Stop it. It's not. You know, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to spend time on that. But there's so many interesting topics that happened this past season. If you're Roger Goodell, you got to be happy because the season for the league as a whole was rough. But that game, man, that game was perfection from an NFL standpoint. But we're going to keep things moving. We're going to get back to the NFL a little bit later in the show. But first, for our second topic, we're going to the NBA and the strangest season for one of the strangest teams continues. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. The way he put the team in the exclamation points, and I'm like, whoa. And it was more just shocking to hear from him and understanding that he gets the most assists from me and the most spoon-fed baskets ever. Like I said, if any guys have a problem with me, they can talk to me face-to-face as a man. And if you can't do that, then I lose a lot of respect for you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the voice of all-star guard John Wall. And if you listen really, really closely... That noise in the background, that's Wizards fans screaming at the potential of their team falling apart. I don't care how everybody wants to spin it. When your point guard goes on national television like that and says those comments about your starting center, okay, there's a problem. <laughs> let's be for real. Stop. Let's, let's stop playing around and identify there's an issue, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know, John Wall, uh, he underwent surgery on his knee. They say it's a cleaning, a minor procedure, whatever. If it's my knee, I'm not saying it's minor. It's surgery, damn it. You know, so John, he had surgery last week. They say the uh, estimated time for his recovery is six to eight weeks. Okay. And at full disclosure, I heard that last week and I'm thinking, oh man, that's it for the Wizards. I'm thinking, yo. Their playoff hopes are done. John Wall is out. How they going to win without John? They already don't have a bench. You take your best player off the team, man. It's curtains. So naturally, of course, they go and win at least five straight. At the time of this recording, they're currently playing Philadelphia. It's not looking so good. But, you know, right now they're only down nine. But they have at least won five straight, including four really big games. They beat Oklahoma City. They beat Toronto. They beat Indiana, and I feel like they, they beat another uh, top-tier team as well. I'm not certain, but they've looked really good 
immediately following John Wall's absence, right? So naturally, because the Wizards are so odd and so strange and so um, this, this season has just been so odd on so many levels, the Wizards, without John, they go on a winning streak. And not only are they winning games, not only are they beating really good teams, but the way they're doing it, right? Their assist numbers are through the roof. Significantly, like a stark contrast than the way they played when John was healthy, or at least before he uh, left, before he had surgery. So it's alarming when you look at all of the assist numbers and how, despite John being a past first point guard, right, the Wizards pass the ball more when he's not playing. They're they're uh, I mean Brad is an All Star this year, but their secondary and third tier players are all. Everyone is playing better now that John is injured, right? And that part of that is to be expected. If one superstar goes down, you need more than one. It can't just be okay. Well, Brad, you got to carry even twice as much of the load. You right? What you would hope for is that all your other players, all your role players, all take a little bit more of a role and do a little bit more to, you know, try to fill the shoes of John. But what, what's going on with the Wizards is that everyone, everyone is not doing, is not doing a little bit more. Everyone's playing significantly better. The team looks completely different, right? And then there have been a few, I don't know if you want to say shots, because some of these things I didn't really think were really big. But hearing John Wall's interviews all day on Tuesday, they are at least big to him. It, I played you a snippet of John's interview to start this quarter. And if you have the time, because there's several, right? He did a few. He did one on the jump. He did one locally with my guy Chris Miller, one of the best beat reporters um, around. He, he, is really, he really knows his stuff when it comes to the Wizards. But then he also did one. On you know Sports Center, the six right, and as you listen to them, you're like, "Yo, John is job pissed off right now," and he named Martin's Gortat's name. Now it was part of a question, okay, but the fact that he said, yeah, "Man, no one's been spoon fed like he has." I mean, that's a shot. If you're not familiar, it's all started. Um, I forget which game, but there's one of the wins that the Wizards had. And they talked to Bradley Beal postgame. And he was like, man, when we play, the, play like this, everybody eats. And I, I'm completely honest. When I heard that, I didn't think anything of it. I, when I heard Beal, I just think everybody's eating. That's not a shot. I didn't take it as a shot at John. I took it as, again, when one guy goes down, you need a lot of people to step up. And there's going to be more opportunities for a lot of people to step up. Because, of course, John Wall is such a huge part of what the Wizards do. If Brad were to step down, you would need a lot of guys to step up as well. And if they did, everybody would be eating. So I didn't take that as a shot at John. However, I feel like later that night, Marcin Gortat said this was a great team victory with the words team and quotation marks. And John responded to that tweet with the LOL. At that point, I was like, okay, March is t he's popping off and John clearly felt some type of way that he responded that way. And you heard again, 
you should listen to all of or as much as the interviews as you possibly can. Again, there are several of them, but it's clear, John. And one of the things I love the most about John, we, we, we live now in a, a polished NBA society, right? Where your stars, they, they don't necessarily say what they feel. I think that's part of the reason why so many people love Russell Westbrook as well. Everybody says the, the polished answer. Everybody gives you the, 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 the statement that's not going to offend. No one wants to hurt anybody's feelings. No one wants to be the bad guy. No one wants to wear the black hat. Whereas John, John keeps it funky. Like, he's not going to say, and honestly, <laughs> he said things in the past that you'd be like, ah, John. And someone who who lives in the, who works in the media is like, yo, you probably shouldn't have said that. But as a as just a human, you appreciate the fact that he's so honest. The whole thing about Brad and John stemmed from John saying, yeah, sometimes we don't like each other. John said that it wasn't a question that was asked. It wasn't him being pressed. He presented that to the world, you know. So John has no cut cards when it comes to him, and I love that about him. So you see it on his face. That he's not feeling either. It to me, it again, I didn't take what Brad said to John as a shot at all. But when I when I see and when I hear John talk about not just March's tweet, but what Brad said that everybody eats, he said that several times. And to me, it seems as if it bothered him. So if it bothered him, whether Brad meant it as a shot or not, that's the way it seems like he received it. And that's a problem. Right. Because, you know, if you listen to the show in the past, I've said, I think I said it last week. Both John and Brad are all stars. Both of them are supremely talented. They're some of the best, they're two of the best players in the league. So it's not really and and take the the possible, right, the perceived friction between the two, because I'm not even certain that there is a problem between the two. Right. I think there's a. I think we definitely, if anything, there seems to be more of a problem between March and John, right? But I don't even think that's big of a deal because they're both professionals. And unless it's really bothering everybody, I think this is something that they can move through if it's Gortat and John because Gortat's only got one more year after this season and then he's done, at least in D.C. But if it's Brad and John, if there is truly a problem there and no one can know, I don't care how many times they're sitting together and they talk about how they're the house of guards, whatever. It doesn't like that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. When I see John on television on Tuesday, there's a problem with somewhere. Right. And he didn't he didn't go out of his way to dismiss any any of it. I think that's fair. But even taking the that aside, even if there is a problem or if there's not a problem, I've maintained for a while now that you can't build a team. Right. With two guards like that, you just can't do it. When you look at history and I've thought about this since last week. Right. Obviously, Golden State did it with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, their first championship year. And again, I think Steph Curry is one of the 30 to 20 best players of all time. And that's being conservative. So unless you think John and or Brad are one of the 20 to 30 best players in the league, not in the league, but of all time, it doesn't really make sense to compare to use that Golden State Warriors team as a comp in this circumstance. And then 
I guess if you want to use it, another case would be like the Detroit Pistons, right? The Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars Pistons. Well, that team was built with their defense, but if you want to say that Joe Dumars was their second highest usage player, I'm not certain if that's the case, but if, let's say you want to. The, the two finals MVPs, um, again, Isaiah Thomas is one of the 50 greatest players of all time. If you think that John Wall and, and or Bradley Bill are one of the 50 greatest players of all time, we would disagree. But if that's your case, okay, sure, you can make that comparison. But if you don't think that John Wall and or Bradley Bill are one of the 50 greatest players of all time, again, that comparison doesn't make sense. So unless you have an all-time great guard, when you build your team through two guards as your highest usage players, it doesn't it doesn't work. So my idea of I don't want to say blow it up because I don't necessarily agree, but my idea of changing the wizard's construction was based off of that. Not about any perceived chemistry issues, not about one guy is the team is better when this player is not playing. It's not any of that. It's that when you have one of the five highest payrolls in the league, you are expected to win. And the Wizards have shown us thus far with this nucleus that there is a second round ceiling, right? Maybe they get past the second round this season. And it's with the way Cleveland is playing, I have no idea what, how the Eastern Conference is going to shake out come the playoffs. And the Wizards have, I mean, outside of Boston, they've had, had as good a chance as anyone, right? But I do think it's something, because a lot of people in D.C., they dismiss it altogether. Like, oh, man, you can't think about training John or Brad. They're the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference. You know, the, the same old stuff that we've heard time and time again. But this now is the third straight week where there are legit concerns, not just about on-court play, right? Because there are now issues. Like, the way the Wizards play the last week plus is markedly different than they were the way they were playing the last two months. Now, obviously, if John John was hurt, so you can't hold him, you can't hold him too, you can't judge him too harshly on that. But think about the impossible position that John Wall is in right now. The team is playing the best basketball all year without him. Now, again, I he doesn't he did not look healthy. Okay. And the reports are he re, he he injured his knee probably about a month ago or like three weeks ago or so. But if but it wasn't like John was playing great at the beginning of the season either. Okay, so if you want to excuse uh, the recent poor play of the John Wall led Wizards on John re-injuring his knee, I think that's absolutely valid and fair. But how do you explain before that the last two months, right? But again, the impossible position that John is in is that when he returns, everyone is going to be focused on him. Like, okay, right? You, the team wasn't playing well before you, you got hurt. You get hurt, they start playing better. Now, let's see how you play. And the, the NBA is just like any other part of life, right? Food chain, chain of command. John Wall, the team is going to follow John Wall's lead, whether he is vocal about it or not. So it's not it's not up to John Wall to make sure everybody else 
continues their aggressive play and ball movement when he returns. Right? John can't make Otto and Sadoransky and Tim Fraser and Marquise Morris more aggressive. If they defer to him just by his mere presence, John can't John can't change that. No matter how much he says, hey guys, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to keep on doing what you guys have been doing without me. Again, it's the food chain. John Wall, the team takes the the shape, the identity of the biggest best player, right? The biggest personality and the best player. John Wall is the best player. So just by him returning, people will fall in line. That's not John Wall's fault. You understand what I'm saying? You can't hold John Wall accountable for people becoming passive when he returns. No matter what he says, no matter how many times he passes the ball, because you don't want John to start passing just just to pass, right? You want them to make the right basketball play. But if guys aren't willing to assert themselves when the leader is back, what can what I mean, what can you do? Not to mention, again, he's on crutches right now. So when he comes back, and you know he's eager to return, you know, so he can just, if anything, just silence all this criticism. I mean, how do you, how do we expect this return to go? Because if they don't, if he doesn't return and they keep up this hot play, you know what is going to, you know what the headlines are going to be. All the Wizards, the same thing. Are the Wizards better without John Wall? Don't let them lose a few games when he returns, and then all hell will break loose. This is an impossible situation for a team that has shown us for three years, three out of four years, that they're a second-round team. At some point, we got to ask, is this worth it? They got a top five payroll. You've got issues. Every year, you hear something about the Wizards in their locker room. Every single year. At some point, somebody's got to make the decision. Because I don't know, even without the chemistry issues, if this team has the recipe for success worthy of a top five payroll. But then when you factor in the chemistry issues... You got to ask yourself, what's what's the long-term plan here? Okay? John just signed the Supermax. But his trade, you can't trade him this season. And his trade value is probably at his lowest point ever moving forward. Otto, I don't know. There may be five teams who will take on Otto, Otto Porter's contract. And I and that's before even looking if they have the cap space. And then Bill, who probably at this moment has the highest trade value of all of them, if you're going to trade him, you got to make sure you get something really, really good in return. And I don't know if there there is a deal that exists that way. This is what the Wizards have, and they got no cap space. Right? We'll see. But I feel for John, man, because, again, John is one of my favorite players. I love John. I love that he's honest, but he's in a tough position right now. Hopefully, you guys are in a very comfortable position as you listen to the quarterly report. Remember, you can tweet at me. I'm at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. All you have to do is go to the podcast directory. Easy for me to say. The podcast directory at iTunes. Search quarterly show or excuse me, quarterly report. Search the quarterly report. You'll see my show's icon. Click on that and subscribe. And while you're at it, leave me some five-star reviews and let the world know what you think and what you like about the show. And, of course, you can email me 
as well at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Leave me your questions, your comments. If you want to hear me talk about a topic that is near and dear to your heart, ask me a question. And as we do every other week on the show, this week it's time for stoppage time. Stoppage time is a little segment, not a full-blown quarter, but a little segment where you listeners can ask me a question or whatever you want to talk about. And this week's uh, question comes from Damar from Uptown. Shout out to DC. What's going on? Damar asked me, Tom Brady fumbled in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Can we finally put to rest this notion that he is somehow the GOAT over Michael Jordan? All right, Damar, man. So first off, thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate you. Um, You know, I was surprised when I started to see this kind of Tom Brady versus Michael Jordan uh, topic starting to to rear its ugly head a few weeks ago. Um, Look, when you talk in sports, man, sports talk is silly. And God knows I've probably had some silly topics on this podcast. I know for a fact when I was producing television, you know, when you do a show every day, there's sometimes you're going to come up with just the oddest or the most strange topic as you can, you know, not because you're actively seeking to, to have something silly like that, but you're just trying to find something that's new and interesting and that can be talked about that hasn't been discussed ad nauseum before. But I got to say, man, when I started seeing this John or Tom Brady versus Michael Jordan stuff popping up, I was like, yo. What have I gotten myself into? Because I don't want, I don't, I promise you guys, man, I don't want to do stuff like that. That was so silly to me. I mean, beyond dumb. You know, so I just didn't engage in it because, like, you basketball and football are so different. I mean, football, really, to any of the other major sports, is on a, on a level all to itself. They're, they're just not, you can't compare football to other sports in terms of individual athletes' greatness, right? Tom Brady was not on the field at all for the 44 points that Philadelphia scored. So even if you're a pitcher in baseball, I mean, obviously, if you're in an American League, you know, they're pinch hitters. But if you're a pitcher in the National League, you account for, you know, in many ways, not allowing scores, but you also have to be on the field as well when it's time to, when you're on offense, you know what I mean? So even in an American league, if you're a catcher, you're part of the battery, but you still have to contribute offensively. In hockey, you have a goalie, but he's still on the ice unless you pull him at the end of the game. Basketball, Michael Jordan contributed offensively and defensively. Football's the only sport, man. You got three different types of, you got offense, defense, and special teams. Tom Brady's not on there for two-thirds of that. So, you know, when you, when you hear guys, and there was an article, then it was on all the talk shows and sports radio, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I'm not going to really entertain that stuff, man. Both of them are great. As a kid, I hated Michael Jordan, so I enjoy my, Tom Brady more than I enjoy Michael Jordan. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Tom Brady is a better athlete than my, you know what I'm saying? Like, nah, man, <laughs> y'all can have that. 
I hope y'all enjoyed those debates. I hope y'all enjoyed those debates, man, because, yeah, man, I, I, I just I didn't understand that one. I, I think I usually have a pretty good eye to, to see how things are moving with the sports world. I think I have a pretty good finger on the pulse. But with that one, that caught me off guard. I was like, wow, they turned the, they turned the hot takes up to, to hunting on that one because I did not see that one coming. All right, DeMar, man. Thank, again, thank you for listening to the show. I hope you uh, appreciated that. And again, guys, make sure you email me. Let me know your thoughts, questions. If you have any topics that you want me to discuss, again, you can email the show, get in contact, get interactive with the show. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means halftime is here. And for halftime, man, Super Bowl Sunday was a big hit, right? There's no way we we already talked about the game. The game was a massive success. However, Super Bowl Sunday had some big L's as well in terms of cultural appropriation, right? Justin Timberlake, he he sang some Prince, even though Prince said it, you know, and then want a hologram, apparently, Justin Timberlake just put the hologram on the sheet anyway. Justin Timberlake took some shots at Prince. God bless the dead. Prince didn't like Justin Timberlake, but Justin Timberlake sang some Prince. And it's all good, right? Whatever. But it wasn't just the halftime show. Cause, and you watch the commercials, you saw Dr. Martin Luther King give a speech about buying Dodge trucks. <laughs> so... In that spirit, you know, they got a lot of people ruffled a lot of feathers, mine including, right? So I threw an exclusive that you only will hear on the Quarterly Report podcast. We have found some of the ideas that didn't get greenlit for the Super Bowl Sunday halftime or commercials, right? Justin Timberlake and the Dodge commercial was really, really bad. But here's some of the ones, some of the ideas for Super Bowl Sunday that did not make the list. Take a listen. All right, guys. The big game is almost here. And this year, I want us to try some new ideas with our ads. Have you guys heard of this new phenomenon called woke? Yeah, it's what the kids are all doing. I don't know exactly what it means, but it's very urban and uh, hip, if you know what I mean. Hell. This Black Panther film is gonna break all the records, apparently because it's so woke. So let's wake up. <laughs> okay guys, give me some woke ideas for Super Bowl commercials. Go. Um, hmm, Black Panther, huh? Well, how about this? Hologram of Fred Hampton appears. He's walking through the hood, voicing his frustrations and then his attitude changes completely. Why, you ask? Because he's standing in our new Hampton Inns and Suites. Get it? Fred Hampton? Hampton Inns and Suites? It's perfect. Am I right? Okay. I like it. Very good start. What else do we have? How about for our new Amtrak campaign, we show off the beautiful new exterior while talking about all the new advancements and then the train stops, and when the door opens, it's none other than a young Rosa Parks, who calmly says, I got tired of sitting in the front of the bus, now I upgraded to the train. Good, good, that has potential. 
Any other ideas? Bob, how about you? Uh, why don't we just find a Martin Luther King speech and play it while showing a new truck or something? Brilliant! Snow. We, as a community, our heroes are treated pretty poorly, right? But Dr. King, although he's been whitewashed a bit, you know, there's an understanding. Don't mess with Dr. King. I, when I tell you, when I saw the commercial where he's reading, where his speech is in the background and you just see a truck driving off road, I, my mouth literally hit the floor. My sister, everybody in the house was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a joke. But reality couldn't have been too much further from that. Like, how do you come up with the, that conclusion? How is that the grand idea? Remember, Super Bowl commercials are far and away super expensive. The most expensive ads that companies spend all year round. And that was the great idea? Dr. King in a truck. Hey, <laughs> right, man, God bless him. Enough about that, for real. Enough about that. Let's hope we don't see that commercial ever again. And I'm fairly certain we won't, you know. But enough about that. Let's keep the show moving with our guest this week. She's a regular on the show, man, and I'm super excited to catch up with her, Monica McNutt. She is a college basketball analyst, a former Georgetown star herself, and a writer for The Prompt, friend of the program, Miss Monica McNutt. Monica, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. Can't complain. Guys, make sure you follow Monica on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica. That's M-C-N-U-T-T Monica. Um, and not only is she a college basketball analyst, but you can find her work. She writes for The Prompt Mag. You can follow them on Twitter, The Prompt. Um, it's been a busy week in the sports calendar. Obviously, no story bigger than the Super Bowl. So before we get started with everything else, I guess your quick impressions on the Super Bowl um, and how do you feel about the Eagles, you know, winning their first champion, Vince Lombardi trophy? I don't – so it's funny because I actually wrote for the prompt about your picking rules, obviously, as a Washington fan. Like, I did not root for the Eagles, per se, just off strength of the NFC. Like, I made this mistake of subscribing to the idea that it's good for the conference when Villanova won the national championship game, and I was in the airport as a Hoya and actually wanted to vomit. So um, I did not do that last night. But in the same breath, like, I'm not a huge Brady fan, but I do appreciate that level of excellence. Maybe it's because, you know, UConn is so dominant in women's basketball. I kind of am not unfamiliar with a team being dominant. But you have to give credit where credit is due. I think Peterson has been incredible all year. He really seems like a player's coach. They did the super fun clip with him talking about how much he loves ice cream leading up to the Super Bowl week. But And then Foles being an underdog, the Eagles being an underdog. Like, you do root for an underdog, or I do, typically. Um, so I did congratulate my homeboy sitting in the gym this morning with his Eagles cap on. But other than that, I'm letting it go, and we're on to 2018. <laughs> Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Miss Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNuttMonica. Uh, she's a college basketball analyst and a writer for The Prompt. Uh, so make sure you check out all her dope stuff on her timeline and other places as well. All right, Monica, so we talked about the game a little bit, but a lot of people uh, were focused on the halftime. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on the the backlash, the controversy, and the performance itself. Um, there was a lot of talk about appropriation. I touched on that a little bit in halftime earlier. 
Uh, Justin Timberlake's past when it comes to the Super Bowl halftime is something that we all know know a lot about. Um, and then obviously using prints and a hologram form during the performance, the whole nine. I'm curious your thoughts, if you liked it, uh, if you are turned off by it. The Super Bowl halftime in your own words. The controversy. Um, there's just, for me, there's a spirit of the law and there's a letter of the law, right, when people communicate things. And everything we know about Prince and everything we've seen him say throughout his career and the steps that he took to make sure that he owned his own music and the rights that he took, and even down to the quotes that he had about holograms and such, I think JT was still a little bit out of line. Technically, it wasn't a hologram, but if you look at the spirit of what he was saying, yeah. if you're going to do that, I think you put Prince on the screen, the sheet, whatever it was, and you stop and look as well. You know what I mean? Like truly give him the moment for right. a second. And I think in Minneapolis, considering what Prince was so de delicate and diligent to do about his music, I don't think anybody would have taken that away from him. And then quite honestly, I think our standards in terms of what good performances are, are can be a little unrealistic sometimes. Like I just thank God I'm not a performer because y'all ain't never happy. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I did I did think that there was a also a demographic like split for the performance last night. I won't say that I was wild, but I didn't dislike it. Like I was like, Oh, JT got the jams, like he was taking it back for me. Like some of those songs were really hitting like right as I was coming out of high school and college and they're just attached to good memories for me. So I enjoyed it on that front. Was I necessarily like will it be one that I think of when somebody asks me this question again? Probably not. But I didn't yeah. think it was Once again, bad. guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Ms. Monica McNutt, former superstar Georgetown Hoya on the basketball court and current college basketball analyst and writer for The Prompt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica. All right, Monica, so besides the Super Bowl and the halftime, it's been NBA trade deadline frenzy this whole week. Uh, Thursday, the day of the podcast being uh, released, will be the deadline. Um, so I'm not going to be able to talk about actual moves that have been made by the time everyone listens to this. But I am curious your thoughts on Cleveland. Um, it's clear something needs to happen with them. Um, I'm not sure if it's a big move or a small move, but talk about whatever the issues, the way you see it, must be going on with the Cavaliers. So the actual move is tricky for me because I honestly believe, like in my soul, that if this team as constructed wanted to make it work, they could. Right. Just because I think that the talent is there. So I don't know that it's necessarily a actual move in terms of who the player is and what he can do, what position he plays, as much as it is really defining that relationship with LeBron. Right. And it's funny that we're having this conversation because the guys in my fantasy league, we debated who's a better teammate. And like Bron came up considering Bron and Kyrie um, Russ and KD came up, um, and, like, where else could Braun play in the league and fit because he is so ball-dominant? I right. think what we're accustomed to seeing out of Braun in terms of his ball-dominance and his productivity head and shoulders above the competition, we forget that that's not necessarily what all that he can do, I guess I would say, right? Like, yeah. he's also a very high basketball IQ type of guy. And when you think of him, with the Olympic teams where he doesn't have to be as ball dominant, you get a chance to, to get a glimmer of what it might be like if he played with people on his caliber consistently. So as far as the Cavs right now, I, I, I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas 
Oh, yeah. catching a whole lot of heat that was absolutely unwarranted. The Kevin Love injury, I think, really decimates them because Kevin Love, in my mind, is an unsung hero for that group. They probably will move somebody. Right. I almost want it to be Isaiah for Isaiah's sake because I just think he's going to be the target if things yeah. don't shake out. And, again, I'm like, we're having this conversation, but for real, like, they're going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They probably still come out the East. Wow, I, that's that's shocking. But how certain are you? Like, how can you be confident in those picks? Right. And I will admit that it is turning into probably. Right. Um, just because I really like what the Celtics are doing, but when you look at the Celtics, you've got a lot of young guys, and sometimes we forget that there is this curve. There's this rookie curve, or maybe first or second year curve, in terms of guys who are not battle tested in terms of duration of a season. Right. Right. So it wouldn't shock me if a, a Jason Tatum. Um, comes up a little bit lame down the stretch. We've already seen him battle a little bit of injuries. And I love Jalen Brown. I think he's great. Terry Rozier is having a great year as well. But those guys have not done it. And sometimes not only is experience a mental factor, I also think that there's a physical factor when it comes to experience. And then beyond them, Kyrie's been there. But I don't know that Kyrie's ever been there and been the man. Kyrie tends to get a little hurt every now and again too. You know what I mean? No, you're 100% correct. I mean, although Boston looks like a complete machine right now, you know, Stranger Things – has definitely happened in the past. So, you know, we'll see. Playoffs will be fun, and uh, we'll see what Cleveland does to get themselves out of whatever rut they're in. Once again, guys, that's been Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. Really fun follow. She's at McNutt Monica, and you can catch her stuff at The Prompt. Monica, thank you as always for joining me on The Quarterly Report. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, so we've tackled three topics so far in the show, which means we only have one quarter left. So without further ado, let's get it going with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. Ain't this what they've been waiting for? You ready? Uh, uh. I used to pray for times like this, to rhyme like this, so I had to grind like that, to shine If like you're this, anything like me. You've heard this song all day on Sunday and obviously following Philadelphia's Super Bowl win all week, right? Celebrating the Eagles win with Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill. For those of you who don't know, Meek Mill is a rapper, you understand? He's uh, one of the, I guess, newer rappers of the last six or so years, right? And... You know, this is probably like his most popular song. The Eagles would come out with this song. And unfortunately, unfortunately for me, he's been caught up in some legal issues where, you know, it's been a miscarriage of justice. I mean, if you look at his case, he's locked up currently for a probation violation. And his hearing, there was clerks wanted money from him. It was it was a lot of really underhanded things going on um, for him especially considering he's locked up. All that being said, you know, this song has almost kind of rejuvenated. I don't want to say the career because, you know, a lot of people definitely respect Meek Mill. But one of the reasons he's he's most notorious, I should say, besides, you know, this whole free Meek movement was that he was probably like three or four years ago waged in a little bit of a rap beef with Drake. And I bring all this up because this whole week, and, I, and I'm curious to see if you guys have noticed the same thing. If you have, or maybe if you haven't, remember, you can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. 
But I was surprised by the number of people with the free Meek hashtag, right? Not because I don't think people should be aware of what happened to him. I think it's, again, it's really awful when you dive into his case and why he is locked up. But many of these people who are with the hashtag free Meek and celebrating the Eagles victory with the free Meek hashtag are the same people who were killing him when it came to his beef with Drake. I mean, there were people, I've seen people, people I know specifically, I'm not going to name any names, who have, you know, who tweeted the free meat on, only in response to the Eagles, mind you, only when talking about the Eagles. If, if you generally have an issue with the case and you were doing that, right, in tackling, you know, some of the injustices with our criminal justice system, fine, I have no problem with that. But only as it pertains to the Eagles, right? Like, this is the wave now, free meat. When talking about the Eagles, right? But these are the same people who were talking crazy about me just a few years ago, saying how he shouldn't rap and he got bodied and his career is over and all this other stuff. Now, look, I have told you guys time and time again, in my age, I have comfortably rested in the position in my life where I like the music that I like, a lot of the new stuff. Shout outs to the new generation. You know, hip hop is a young person's genre. You feel me? There is no adult contemporary rap. You know, I like what I like. Most of that stuff came out when I was in my teens and 20s. You understand? That's not to say I don't like a lot of the newer guys, you know, or and ladies. You know, shout out to Rhapsody. I'm a huge fan of hers. Bobby, um, Bobby, Joey Badass. Excuse me, I said Bobby. Joey Badass, uh, Crit. Um, those are like my favorites of this newer generation, this newer era. Of rappers, you know, and obviously you've got your Kendrick, your Drake, and your J. Cole's. Uh, I was more of a J. Cole fan than the other two, but his last few albums have disappointed me a little bit. But ultimately, I appreciate those three while not necessarily being a fan, if that makes sense, right? I can listen to those guys. I like songs that they have, the whole nine, but I'm not like a fan fan of those three. But I do appreciate their craft and their skills and their talent, right? So, you know, the, the new the new generation is fine. And when it comes to rap, when you sign up for hip hop, like, yo, you you can get you can get in the beef. That's that's how it happens. So I'm not saying that you can't attack Meek if you felt that he lost the, 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 the rap war or whatever. Right. If you felt that fine. But some of it became <laughs> some of the hyperbole was ridiculous. Again, they were talking about how. He should quit. No one needs to hear Meek. I mean, go ahead, Google. It wasn't that long ago. It was a few years ago where people were just crazy with the slander toward Meek. And those same people now are riding this free Meek wave only because he had to endure. He's currently enduring this grave miscarriage of justice. Like, why does it take someone to endure awful, horrible things? This man is locked up as we speak. Like, for real, why does it take people having to suffer through these things for people to like, oh, yo, yeah, you know, I, I rock with him now. Dreams and Nightmares was out. The same song everybody's been hearing all week long. That song was out when he was going back and forth with Drake. You feel me? And again, if you get into rap beef, I'm not saying that you can't be, you know, that's part of the fun for us as fans. You know, somebody throws insults and 
We see if somebody can retaliate. But the thing, the specific thing about the Drake Meek thing that I felt at least was that people were so convinced that Drake had won. With that, before Biggie even replied, they literally gave him no shot. Imagine, you know, Drake, again, Drake is super popular. Drake is far more popular than Meek is. I understand that. But when has that mattered in a, in a, in a rap beef? You know what I'm saying? Jay-Z was far more popular than Nas. Imagine if we, we shut down Nas the way we did Meek. We would have never gotten Ether. You understand? Before Meek even released his reply, people were killing him. The same people, mind you, who are hashtag free Meek right now. So that was that was my main issue with the, the whole Drake and Meek thing. Charged up was, wasn't much, in my opinion. Back-to-back -back was cool, you know. But by the time back-to-back -back dropped, nobody was even trying to hear anything Meek had. Nobody. Meek had a, think about it like this. Meek had a diss where he played the ghostwriter for Drake and told the world that Drake got peed on by another man. <laughs> you understand? And nobody was trying to hear it. I'm not telling you that Meek won. I don't think Meek is a better rapper than Drake. But the, the way that whole beef kind of unfolded, I was kind of in awe. I was like, yo, y'all really rock, rock with Drake. And everybody was like, yo, Meek's career is over. Boom, boom, boom. It's over. I don't want to hear the, I don't want to hear him anymore. And now that he actually had to suffer something for real, not a not a pretend rap beef, but like a real injustice. Again, he's serving time currently. Now everybody wants to rock with him. Like, why do we have to wait for someone to endure something awful before we Showed them appreciation. In the, in, the, in the intro, I told you I was going to try to tie Meek Mill and T.O. And here's what I'm going to do it with. The Hall of Fame. Obviously, obviously this weekend, T.O., deservingly so, was introduced into the Hall of Fame. And I've seen this take countless times. And this weekend, I saw it by someone I actually like. You know, I usually don't name people who I'm not a fan of. But Ryan Rossillo, a guy who I really enjoy, like I enjoy his, he's got a podcast now, but when he did his radio show, I enjoyed him. Uh, I like his take. He's an NBA guy. I'm a fan of his, but he, he tweeted this out. And again, it wasn't just him. This is a take that I've heard from other people. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it right in front of me, but Rosilla was like, I'm happy for T.O. that he got, uh, you know, selected into the hall of fame. But I'm also more happy that we can act like this national tragedy of T.O. being snubbed is over. It's not like he had to wait as long as other people before him. And that kind of idea, right, that, yo, T.O. had to wait and other people had to wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. Look how long it took Chris Carter. Look how long it took Michael Irvin. That idea kind of ties into the same thing. We always wait. Like, why should we have to wait? Like, you ever go, you go to a funeral, and I'm, I'm not trying to be too, you know, too dark here, but you go to a funeral, and after something like that happens, you always hear, man, you know, you can't take tomorrow for granted, right? Tell the people you, you love in your life how much you love them, the people you appreciate how much you appreciate them, okay? With that same logic, why is it like that when it comes to the Hall of Fame, it's like, hey, man, you didn't get in this year, you got next year. Like this logic that, Hey, man, look at the way they treat wide receivers. 
Like, this is how they do it. So, T.O., just wait your turn. And especially when in a sport like football, where these guys are putting not only their bodies, but their minds. And then we're just going to be flipping, like, hey, man, you didn't get in this year, but we're trying to teach them a lesson. You got next year and the year after that. That's absurd to me. Right? Respect, pay homage. Like, if you enjoy someone, whether it's in the arts or entertainment, sports, or just in your personal life, let them know. Don't wait until they're locked up. Or don't keep pushing it, you know, kicking the can down the road. Like, oh, you'll get it next year. It, it's mind-boggling to me. The number of people who use that same attitude with T.O. It's like, yo, you know, T.O., he didn't get in this year. But you know what? Neither did Michael, Michael Irvin. It took a few years. Well, that was wrong. Michael Irvin should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, just like Chris Carter, just like Terrell Owens. The idea that T.O. should just be, you know, that people shouldn't be angered that T.O. had to wait a long time. If Tom Brady's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, people would lose their damn minds. You understand? And I'm not saying that T.O. is as good as Tom Brady, but you understand the point. T.O. literally had to wait and wait, play a waiting game when nothing is promised to us. Tomorrow, the next hour is not promised to us. So, like, why do we ride the wave? Why do we, why do we, we, like, enjoy seeing people endure and suffer? Like, why? Why is it that when everybody was, when it was popular to, to rip Meek Mill, why was everybody riding that wave? And now, because he's literally going through something real, not a fake beef, not a, a R&B little spat, Something real. His freedom is taken away. Now everybody's like free meek as their Eagles tweet. You know what I mean? Like trivializing what this dude is going through because the football team won. I was amazed, man. Again, I've seen people who I know who I've had conversations with when that beef was going on. And they were calling me every other name out the the book. And now it's cute to be like free meek. Oh, I'm listening to dreams and nightmares for the X amount of time today. Nah, man, that's really lame, Joe. I, I had to call it out. I had to call it out, man, because if you appreciate somebody, if you appreciate somebody's work, their art, let them know. Don't let popularity sway your opinion on someone. That's lame as hell, Joe. And using someone's struggle as a wave for a football team. Come on, bro. We better than that. We are way better than that. All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Again, I want to thank my guest this week, Monica McNutt, and each and every one of you listeners who download, take time out of your, your week to listen to the show. I appreciate you very much. Thank you guys so much. But before we go, remember, get in contact with the show. Interact with me. I love to hear your guys' thoughts, your opinions, the whole nine. And there's so many ways that you can get in contact with me. You can tweet me and the show at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. You can email me. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. And, of course, let me, let the world, let your friends, let everyone know your thoughts on the show by going to iTunes. All you have to do is go to iTunes, click on the podcast directory, and search the Quarterly Report. It's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. You'll see my face on the coin. You click on that icon, subscribe, and while you're at it, please rate and review the show. Let me and let the world know your thoughts. 
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to me this week. I'll see you back here next Thursday on the Quarterly Report.